Welcome to the CEC report for the 25th of May 2018. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, battle lines drawn in Canberra over breaking up the banks and the Libya model threat to North Korea means murder. So a lot of news today. Firstly, battle lines drawn in Canberra over breaking up the banks. So you've just returned from a week in Canberra talking to politicians about Glass-Steagall, yep. Robert, and I think that the takeaway from it is the comment of the aide of one MP who said, what you're doing is working, and that's referring to what we've been asking all of our viewers to do and supporters across the country, which is to contact their Member of Parliament, visit them if possible, or email them, send a letter with our legislation calling for Glass-Steagall legislation to break up Australia's banks, which yeah. means to split away um, the functionality of normal everyday banking from speculative activity in order to keep safe the vital functions that keep you know, people's livelihood going, keep the economy going. Um, so m members of parliament are getting the message that we want them, that the population wants them to sponsor this bill. So give us a report on how that was obvious. Well, let me just emphasize what you said for the benefit of the viewers, because we appeal to you to act. And if you do act, and if you haven't acted, um, take this as encouragement, you should, it works. So I was there with Dr. Wilson Sy, the former principal researcher of APRA, and we had quite a few meetings with members of parliament, but it was as if there was him, me, and the Australian public in the room with us, and this member of parliament. That's why they met. Invariably, they'd been, they were responding to how much contact they were receiving from their constituents, right? Now, most, there, there are plenty of ideological members of parliament who all you do is butt heads with them and, you know, you would find yourself in, in violent disagreement almost. But most members of parliament are not like that. They're just ordinary people. They get, um, they've got a million things on their plates, right? You've got to get their attention. They've got party structures that suppress any independent thinking a lot of the time. But what where the impulse for change comes from is the public, mm. right? And what happens in Australia, Elise, is we have a political system because it's, you know, ultimately it's at the very top, it's undemocratic under a crown. There's nothing democratic about that. It's the UK system. You get, there's a, there's a modicum of democracy, but you get a lot of, there's, there's no real encouragement for actual democracy, right? Grassroots democracy that's direct to members of parliament. They'll tell you, you go through a party or something. If you do it, it works. That's what we were told. Here's the other thing about the meetings, though, the other takeaway. Um, while we're there lobbying them on Glass-Steagall and explaining Glass-Steagall and the importance of breaking up the banks, citing what's been coming out of the Royal Commission, etc., we were informed that the banks were also in Parliament mm. lobbying them on one thing, don't break us up. <laughs> now, what this tells you, this is the battle lines we referred to, right? Mm. There's us on one side, us being the CEC who are the, the, the pointing end of this, but all you viewers and our supporters and the, more and more of the general public have become aware of this issue on the one side and on the other side is the banks. That's the battle lines and the politicians are caught in the middle. And up until now, they've had total say over it, right? We've come along and, you know, th their power is starting to crumble and we've got something to permanently change it. And Glass-Steagall is not the, the, the solution to absolutely everything, but what it is, it's, it's as fundamental as the law to put fences around swimming backyard swimming pools, mm. right? It's, it's to put locks on chicken coops so foxes don't get in. We all accept those things are common sense. This is, 
This is, should be the common sense cornerstone of banking. And while we don't have it, we're letting foxes run hen houses. We're letting pedophiles run kindergartens. Mm. If, you know, not to, not to conflate the two, but as a metaphor. Um, uh, this is, so it's that fundamental. It should be, a, it is a no-brainer, mm. right? But the banks don't want it. Why? Because their structure is predatory. And we'll show some clips from 60 Minutes soon, and that's what the, the, um, you're going to confront mm. with them. We have to demand the other side and make sure politicians deliver it. Yeah. So there's a lot of MPs who are you know, actually quite passionate about Glass-Steagall, but they are under huge pressure not to do this. There's a huge fight, and they need all the encouragement they can get. And the status of the legislation to update people uh, of, for Glass-Steagall is that Bob Catter, the federal MP for Kennedy, uh, will table the legislation. He does need a seconder. Now, uh, Rebecca Sharkey, uh, she's the MP for... Mayo in South Australia, who's or the former now. She's She was thrown out on the citizenship issue. Yeah, very unfortunately, because she uh, wrote to constituents that were asking her about this bill that she would be happy to second this bill. So... We are hoping that she gets re-elected, obviously. Well, our message to Adelaide, for viewers in South Australia who are supportive of Glass-Steagall, support Rebecca Sharkey's campaign, because mm. if she gets back in, she will second the bill. Hopefully something else will have happened in the meantime, because as you've probably heard on the news, it's nine weeks away, these by-elections. But we, the CEC, would, are happy to recommend people get behind Rebecca Sharkey's campaign to get re-elected mm. into Parliament, because she's up against the the very heart of the establishment of the Liberal Party and Alexander Downer's daughter, right? Yep. And they are no threat to the banks at all. They are the people the banks own. So do this, um, if you, you know, go and help the campaign, support the campaign, and, and it's good for, it would be good for Rebecca Sharkey to get re-elected. Now, the, on the Royal Commission, um, I want to mention the fact that, uh, you know, last year there was a big drumbeat about the concern that the Royal Commission would feed into our demands for breaking up the banks because yeah. at the time from August last year we had been fighting hard to stop APRA get, being given emergency powers which would allow them to confiscate certain investments, bonds and potentially deposits. So this was on the radar. On the 21st of November in the Australian Financial Review, this is last year, uh, there was an editorial conspiracy theories drive bank inquiry which suggested that our campaign against bail-in had sparked support in Parliament for a Royal Commission into the banks. Then, just a few days later, on the 25th of November, AFR had another editorial decrying the fact that political scrutiny of the banks was being driven by the CEC. On the 13th of March this year, the AFR said that the Royal Commission was not designed to be an inquiry into how our entire successful banking industry has been structured and nor must it become one. But they went on to say that the magnitude of the inquiry could set up the expectation of some radical overhaul of banking, such as a forced breakup of their activities. And even the Financial Review... Well, uh, Pauline Hanson turned up at the Royal Commission this week. We've been out there all the time, but... There's no one like Pauline Hanson to draw the media. Anyway, what's interesting is she had they were around her like flies on you know what. Um, that's what the media is like. When they covered her in the financial review, though, there was plenty of news that day. But for the financial review, it was front page news. Mm. One nation leader goes after the banks. That says less about Pauline Hanson and more about the financial review, right? And of course, 
This is their seed. They are under. They feel under siege. This is the banker's paper. They feel under siege at the moment. And One Nation had been the party that tried to put up legislation to specifically block the new APRA powers from confiscating deposits, so it's a big factor. Now, we'll take a quick break, but we'll keep talking about this right after. Welcome back to the CEC report where we're discussing the battle lines in Canberra being drawn over the fight to break up the banks. And I'll just add to what we were discussing in the last segment that on the 2nd of May, the London Times, which we've reported a couple of times on the show, had an article where they were in great conniptions over the fact that uh, if breaking up the banks was successful here in Australia coming out of the Royal Commission, uh, that the threat was that that would be back on the table in the United Kingdom and other places around the world. Um, so the Royal Commission started its next round of hearings this Monday, just gone, and those hearings will focus in on uh, business lending and rural lending. And one of the first, we want to just talk about a few of the different witnesses to again illustrate the crimes of the banks here. So uh, one of the witnesses Monday was a lady by the name of Carolyn Flanagan, who was guarantor for her daughter's loan worth $50,000 from Westpac. Um, now she is legally blind. She's had several strokes and she also suffers from a number of serious illnesses. And it was quite likely that she didn't know what she was signing up for. The bank in their records actually had no notes about any of her conditions or the obvious warning signs that she wasn't capable of repaying the loans uh, if it ran into trouble, which it did. She lost her house and dis despite pleas because of circumstances to be able to keep her house, etc., to deal with it, Westpac ignored all of this and only after she lost her house and a process of dispute resolution did Westpac allow, agree to allow her to stay there rent-free, meaning she doesn't own the house, but they're letting her stay there until she dies. So I just want to show a few clips here from Sunday night's 60 Minutes program called The Teller, which is about a bank teller uh, explaining how they were, they had quotas to sell bank products to their customers. And during that show, they showed a number of um, the victims of the bank speaking at the Royal Commission. So we'll just roll that clip. Catherine's story from the inside there are more damning allegations against the banks comes in the wake of appalling claims to the Royal Commission into banking I asked him would he still be here when I'm 102 making my last payment by victims from the other side of the counter explain that I'm a gambler I have a gambling problem I don't understand why they keep offering me more money customers have been treated with total disdain if we were offering a limit increase it was because we thought that the customer might want it then we can profit from that. For them to do that to their customers is absolutely and utterly disgusting. Ordinary people calling us who want the best for their family, they just want to put food on the table. Catherine Temple is a lawyer at the Consumer Action Law Centre in Melbourne. Each day she hears the stories of lives lived on the brink of financial ruin because of aggressive sales tactics by banks. A lot of people in a lot of distress because they're just loaded up with debt that they can't afford uh, and a lot of the time they never could afford and it's scary. Mr. Regan, you like 72-year-old pensioner Robert Regan. What's your occupation, Mr. Regan? Oh, I'm sorry? Retired. retired. The Royal Commission heard he was given a $50,000 loan by the ANZ Bank to be repaid over 30 years, even though he had no way to pay it back. He now stands to lose his home. Have you at any time put your 
home on the market, I, I did Mr. have my Reed. home on the market, yes. And why did you put your home on the market? Pay off this debt. Yes. And Irene Savidas, a single mother with two kids living on benefits who was sold credit card insurance she neither wanted nor needed. I just felt um, pressured or um, kind of like, you know, no matter what I said, it was the opposite, so I, I, couldn't can I felt like I couldn't cancel it. The more shameful conduct, it seems, was saved for the vulnerable. Just take a moment. Who, it turns out, are good for business. People who are struggling to make ends meet can actually be very profitable to the banks because they are the ones who tend to pay the most in interest, uh, in late fees, in charges. So there is an incentive there, I think, to provide loans to people who are living on the edge. The importance of these cases, Elisa, is they show that a lot of people think, yeah, why were, you know, we're, the responsibility must be on the customer, surely, because why were they so foolish to sign up to this stuff? But what you, and, and I'm sure there's plenty of foolishness on that side, and of course there was, but what they're up against is a predatory machine that preyed on people, mm. right? And the, we have to deal with that. You can't change everything about human nature, but we can change that. That's what Glass-Steagall's about. We've got one more clip now, which is from, also from 60 Minutes. This is John Darlson. He's the, a former director of the ANZ Bank. He's the uh, former chairman of Woolworths. He's extraordinary. He's one of the fiercest critics of the current banking system in Australia. He gets a little bit of airplay, but nowhere near enough. And I was telling members of parliament, uh, he's a, he has some attachment to the National Party here in Victoria. I was telling members of parliament in the National Party, you talk to him, and they, you know, they had no clue because he's never been called to testify before these committees, etc. Because, mm. and you'll see, you'll see why when you see what he's prepared to say as a former banker in this clip. You know that people do want to see people pay. They want to see people of go course. to jail. Is that, is that just revenge? No, I, I, no, I don't think it is. What they're saying is um, that these people have done something profoundly wrong. And there's a lot of people going, going to jail for way less offences. And we need something like that to happen for people to get the message. It's not just a question of paying the fine and moving on or getting a slap on the wrist, but there are serious consequences. Now, this deep mistrust of the banks can be resolved. They had a similar situation after the 1929 crash and the Great Depression in the US. And the PCORA hearings, which investigated the crimes of the banks, as our Royal Commission is doing, played a critical element in shining light onto it in the first place, but then also making recommendations of how to um, prevent any interaction between bankers who had you know, dreams of massive profits even at their customers' expense and separating that away uh, from any relevant retail banking Well, they changed, and they, they changed the culture. Franklin Roosevelt was famous. He said, look, the principle has always been caveat emptor. Let the buyer beware, what we were just talking about a second ago. He said, no, 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 we have to change it to let the seller beware. And that was a, a cultural shift in the 1930s. It was inherent in the principle of Glass-Steagall. They set up the SEC and a whole bunch of other institutions. And in the deregulation era that we're on the tail end of now, that's all gone out the window and it's mm. back to let the buyer beware. Well, you're seeing in the Royal Commission here, we've got to go back to that change and Glass-Steagall's the centre of it. Yeah. Now, I also want to add that internationally this is beginning to be picked up. Uh, in Italy, for instance, where you have a new government hopefully about to be ushered in, uh, it's a coalition government. And between two parties, the Five Star Movement and the Liga Nord, the Northern League. 
and they have put together a contract um, so that they can agree on their policy platform. And in that contract are some very interesting items. It calls for a system in which the retail credit bank and the investment bank are separated, both as concerns their type of activity and as concerns supervision. It calls for a radical review of the bail-in regime. It calls mm. for a national investment bank and for strengthening Italian sovereignty over the EU. Now, the Financial Times of London responded by saying the barbarians are not merely passing, uh, sorry, massing at the gates of Rome. They are inside the city walls. And quickly, Lisa, I saw just this morning, and I think it's the New York Times, forgive me, we'll find it and put it on the screen, an article that, where the headline is something to the effect that it's not the extremes of politics in the world at the moment, like you know, extreme left, extreme right, that are anti-democratic. It's the centre. Hmm. The centre is trying to resist the, the democratic force for change. Hmm, demands of the people. And League, this, this coalition is in Italy of the right and the left, hmm. right? It's driven by the people who, of Italy who have suffered you know, excruciating pain at the hands of the EU bankers and that because of mm. the austerity they've gone through. And right at the same time, the Vatican has just put out a document um, saying that financial derivatives are a ticking time bomb ready sooner or later to explode, poisoning the health of the markets, you know, and jeopardising real economic growth. And they go on to say that the recent financial crisis might have provided the occasion to develop a new economy and a new regulation of financial activities that would neutralise predatory and speculative tendencies and acknowledge the value of the actual economy. Now, they fall short of calling for full Glass-Steagall banking regulation, but they do cautiously suggest some sort of separation of banking activities. So, you know, it's coming up quite lawfully as a new global financial crisis is brewing. One of the things the Vatican specified about derivatives is that you're buying contracts where for you to benefit, you have, you want other people to go bankrupt. Yeah, that's right. right? And then there's, there's how, why should those sorts of things exist in this world? Mm. Now, for first time callers, you can contact us and get a free copy of this manual that we've just put out. It's a handbook on everything you need to know about Glass-Steagall and the accompanying policies that we've mentioned, such as national banking to get our economy going again. Um, now, we'll take a quick break and right after this, we'll be talking about the North Korean situation. Welcome back to the CEC Report. We're now discussing the Libya model threat to North Korea means murder. So this morning on the news it was being reported across the country that US President Trump has cancelled the 12th June summit with North Korea. It may possibly be rescheduled but at this point it appears it is off. Um, now this came after North Korea called the Vice President Mike Pence a political dummy and questioned the relevance of the summit going forward uh, because of um, what the US, some leaders within the US uh, government have been saying and made further threats. Um, so Trump was responding to that. But to give you the background of it, um, North Korea had every right to react in the way that they did. Um, last week when they initially paused the talks with South Korea and made initial warnings about the breakdown of talks with the US, it was based on the comments of the National Security Advisor to Trump, John Bolton, who had compared the denuclearisation process to the Libya model of 2003-2004. And the North Korean First Vice Minister for Foreign Affairs responded um, you know, in a very clear-cut way to say, look, 
this undermines any negotiations for you to say this. Now, Trump actually came out contradicting Bolton, which was very good, because he said, look, our model's not the Libyan model. In Libya, he said, we decimated that country. If you look at that model with Gaddafi, that was total decimation. We went in there to beat him. Now, the thing is, Trump should have sacked Bolton, because in 2003, with the six-party talks, North Korea had actually demanded Bolton be excluded from any um, role in the talks because he'd made inflammatory comments about North Korea's alleged WMDs at that time and his provocations were effective in derailing talks. Of course, Bolton had played a key role uh, in presenting the evidence for the WMDs in Iraq as the basis for the illegal invasion yeah. of Iraq. Now, if that wasn't all bad enough, this Monday just gone, uh, Vice President Mike Pence weighed into it. He referred to Bolton's comments and said that the Libyan model would only be applied if Kim Jong-un doesn't make a deal. But he brought that right back to the forefront yep. and North Korea responded by saying, look, that does not reflect the climate of detente that we want here. Mm. So North Korea has... Uh, Trump said, OK, I'm scrapping this. Um, he, you know, what he... The way he... His tone wasn't the worst, no. right? But... He's responded to this. He's got too much bad advice here. The North Koreans have responded in a with a conciliatory tone, Elisa, saying, well, we are still prepared to meet at any time, right? They're not the ones that pulled the plug on this. The way the media is reporting this, though, it's that North Korea has derailed this with its threats, mm. right? And Trump's letter sort of you know, made that claim. No, no. North Korea didn't make the threats. John Bolton and Mike Pence made the threats because here's what it means, the Libya model. When they say the Libyan model, it means we are going to go in there and kill Kim Jong-un mm -hmm. because that's what they did. They convinced Libya to give up its, its um, WMDs and then they went in there and they killed him. But it wasn't just, you know, killed him because, I well, he might have deserved it anyway. No. So let me read you some material here. Basically, Hillary Clinton ran this operation, right? Um, she was the Secretary of State at the time. They, there's, there's all these... Uh, emails between her and her advisor, Sidney Blumenthal, that were released in 2016 that gave away the chronology here and gave the game away quite a lot. And basically that was, the excuse for Libya was a humanitarian intervention. Gaddafi's going to slaughter the people in Benghazi. Three days after they first warned about Benghazi might be in danger, there were official emails saying, oh, it's all calmed down now, there's no problem. NATO planes started bombing it, and about 10 days later, Sidney Blumenthal saying to um, Hillary, well, actually, the reason for this humanitarian intervention is now passed, right? In other words, what are we doing? He wasn't saying, what are we doing here? But he was admitting it's passed. They, the bombing went on for seven more months. And then, um, at the end of which, Gaddafi was not just murdered, he was brutally murdered. He was sodomised with a bayonet. Hillary Clinton was involved. There was emails to show she was involved in the... The US had a, had a role in, in um, showing these al-Qaeda Islamists where Gaddafi was so they could murder him. They mm. wanted him dead, right? That's the Libya model. And then in 2016, the, U the, the, the British House of Commons produced this report, Libya, examination of intervention and collapse in the UK's future policy options. And it says, this policy was not informed by accurate intelligence. In particular, the government failed to identify that the threat to civilians was overstated and that the rebels included a significant Islamist element. So it was, that's it, and that basically says it's a fraud, right? But the end result was a dead leader of, mm. a, of a nation and a failed state. And watch this clip from Hillary Clinton to really let it sink in. Yep. Yes, we came, we saw, <laughs> he died. <laughs>
So when they say Libyan model, Lisa, it's a clear threat to North Korea. Mm, absolutely. Now, for more information, you can get a copy of our latest Australian alert service. This is our weekly publication. Give us a call to find out more. That's all we've got time for today. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for tuning in and join us again next week. Thank you.